Welcome to episode six of the Rediscovery of Me Life Stories podcast. Today's episode is all about being open to possibilities we might not understand and what it's like to grow up with a different perspective. I just understood how things go together and we're so much more than what we think we are. And we're we're certainly not alone here. Mm -hmm. And how important really it is to know that. It's time to be your best version of you. No fluff, no nonsense, only practical ways for you to be your own extraordinary. We learn from the real stories of real people who've been there and survived the life challenges that we all face. Remember, one person's story can be someone else's survival guide. Welcome to the rediscovery of me. I'm your host, Holly Hartley. Hello and welcome to episode six of the Life Stories podcast. Woohoo! If I had a hula skirt, I'd be dancing, although it is winter in the Peak District, so perhaps not such a good idea. Anyway, thank you so much for joining me on the latest episode of the show. I've been chatting to some of my listeners recently. Big shout out to Rachel, Liz and Alan. And I just wanted to say thank you so much to you all for supporting me as an indie podcaster. I do really love hearing from my listeners and really appreciate any feedback you could give me. So if you'd like to drop me a line, please do ping me an email over at contact at rediscoveryofme.com. Right. Well, I hope you're sitting comfortably. Let's get on with today's show. My guest on today's show has lived an extraordinary life. Today, I would like you to listen with an open mind and an open heart as we explore life beyond our usual frame of consciousness and possibility. From a very young age, Barbara has experienced spiritual encounters. Today, her spirituality is a fundamental part of her identity and it inspires how she lives her life. However, this has not always been the case. Growing up, starting out in the world of work, getting married, starting a family, having an awakened sense of spirituality was not something that slotted easily into everyday life. Today, she's a medium spiritual healer. She's here to tell us about her journey and talk openly about coming to terms with this aspect of her life. She's naturally a very private person and I'm so delighted and humbled that she's agreed to come on the Life Stories podcast. She is the very wonderful Barbara Morris. Barbara, thank you so much for being a guest on my show and for agreeing to talk so frankly about an aspect of human existence that's so open to personal interpretation. And I don't like to use these words, but nonetheless, suspicion and sometimes ridicule. I think that listeners are going to get a great deal from hearing you speak, whether or not they believe in this aspect of human existence. So I'm really, really delighted that you're here. So thank you. Thank you, Ali. So so let's start at the beginning, which is always a good place to start. Tell us a little bit about your childhood and where you grew up. Uh, I grew up in Blackpool. And I think, for me, I just always had a friend that I used to play with. And that was normal to me. You know, if I were playing with my dolls or anything else, I used to have this little girl that used to play with me. Right. And uh, my mum and dad didn't discourage that. And I had three brothers. So I think it started from then, really. But I suppose, you know, as as a mum myself, at that point, nobody would think that that was anything unusual because kids often have 
Yeah. Quote, you know, imaginary friends. Yeah. To me, it was just normal. My mum and dad, it was always... I didn't realise this till I got older, that they were very, very open about different things. It was just normal. And did you... Did you see her? Did you hear her? Did you feel her? How? Well, then I used to see. Right. And just play. That's all I used to do with her. Yeah. So you used to see her? Yes. And who? She was called Yvonne. Yvonne? Yes. And do you know who she was? No. I didn't question it. I used to see whirling shapes in the bedrooms, you know, like coloured vortexes. Right. With those, I used to put my head under the covers. Because you didn't like them? Because I didn't know what there was. Right. And then I'd peep out, and if it was still there, I'd put my head under the covers again until they'd gone. Yeah. And it's only later in years that you realise what it is. And what is that? And it's spirit. Right. And uh, but you have to overcome as well lots of fears, mm. you know, because you're only young and... Uh, you're wondering what's going on. But you don't say anything because it's so natural to you, if that you understand what I mean by that. I, I do understand what you mean by that. Because, I mean, I look at my questions now that I've got written here in front of me, and actually I think because I've never had anything like that in my life, I assume that you feel the same way about that. But actually what you're saying is that this is so innate that you've never questioned it. No. So at which point did you realise that actually this is something different than other people have? Oh, gosh. Most probably well in my 20s. Really? Yeah. Because I think at 14, if we're going up to 14, I realised my dad had it. Right. Even though I didn't question it, he just said, well, we've always lived in a house where there's always been a spirit. Okay. And when we used to live in Hadfield, we used to hear the footsteps upstairs and uh, somebody coming downstairs, and my dad would just say, open the door for them. Right. And I'd open the door and I'd say, but there's nobody there, Dad. And he'd say, never mind, just let them out. Right. And again, I didn't question it. I didn't think it was any different to anybody else that... And then when my uncle passed away, and in those days, they, they kept them up in the bedrooms, you know. Mm. And he said, come on, we'll go and have a look at uh, your Uncle Bill. And as we went to see him, he said, don't be frightened, everything's fine. Mm. And I wasn't frightened. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he said, Rusty's here. Now, Rusty was their dog. Mm-hmm. And it had to be put to sleep a few weeks before. So he said, now, he's just come back for his master. Right. He said, so as we go out, we're just going to let him out the front door and they can both be together. So I thought, oh, my dad must see as well. But again, I didn't think to ask him. It was just that it was there, it happened. And how does it feel at an age, you know, those were kind of real formative years, how does that feel? Is it frightening? Is it comforting? I don't know about being comforting or frightened, because I wasn't either. Mm-hmm. It was just, oh, this happens, and, you know, I didn't feel frightened. Because it was just who it. you are and it's always been there? Yes. 
Yes. Yeah, I mean, it does make perfect sense. It's almost like I breathe. Yeah, and we were always made to go to Sunday school and church. Yeah. My mum and dad didn't go. Yeah. But we was all made to go. Yeah. I think it was really so that they had a bit of peace, you know, on a Sunday. <laughs> I really do. Um, so I'd always been brought up with a faith in a way. Mm. But, yeah, there was other interesting different things. But really, I, th- I would imagine as you get to your teenage years, you forget about all that because you're concentrating on boys, aren't you? Yeah. And going out and buying new things and everything like that. So, yeah, it was those years out, if you want. So you mentioned that you went to Sunday school. Do you attach your spirituality to religion? It was in my 20s when I questioned everything. Right. I think that was the uh, the time. From the, round about the mid-20s, I had quite a few experiences mm. started to happen where I would hear spirit or I'd feel them in the house and all those different things. And then after I had my second child, which was Stephen, at 26, we'd moved house, Mm. had a lovely home, two lovely boys. I had an husband, my mum and dad lived near me. And it should have been perfect, but it wasn't. Right. And I can't explain to you why it wasn't. I just felt empty. And I was always brought up to say my prayers every night. Mm-hmm. And you had to say your prayers every night because if not, it wasn't right. And my prayers were getting longer and longer each night. And if I forgot to say them, I felt dreadful. And I thought, what God or what divine spirit would want you to live in fear of not saying your prayers. And, but I can remember this one day getting up in the morning and I can remember saying, right, God, if you were there, you've got to tell me because I will not pray at all until you tell me. And I felt awful, but I, I keep to my word. Mm-hmm. And so weeks went past, months went past, and I kept saying every day, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. You said, ask and you will receive, and seek and you will find. And up to now, you've done neither. <laughs> and so, but this day, for whatever reason, the sun was shining in the bedroom, and I can remember getting down on my knees and crying. And I said, you have forsaken me. You have forsaken me and I have asked you, but I will not pray until you tell me. And I was working at that time at a mill and I was just working on evenings and this lady came to work with me on the evenings and she said, I speak in tongues. Now I had absolutely no idea what that meant, absolutely none. But it was like a light had come on. When she said that to you? Yes. And then she left. And I thought, well, you've given me something. What do you mean by that, she'd given you something? She'd given me a light. So it was like, there's something in it, but I don't know what it was. Right. And then another girl who I used to know came to work with me. Um, I didn't know her well at that point. She said, 
on a Friday, I go to meditation classes. And out of nowhere, I said, I've always wanted to do that. I had no intentions of going to any meditation <laughs> class. And so I went along that first night, and it changed my life forever. In what way? Well, the first thing is, uh, she won't mind me naming her. I'm still friends with them all today. Barbara opened the door, and it was Valu Tootman. And Barbara opened the door, and I just looked at her and I said, I know you, but not from this lifetime. And I thought, what a strange thing to say, but I knew it was right. Mm-hmm. Um, and how did she respond when you said that to her? Well, she was very open. And she said, oh, come on in. And we sat down in this meditation in her living room, it was. And there must have been about 12 of us. And I have to say, I'd never tried to meditate or anything else. And my first thought was, she told us what to do to go into a meditation. And when we come out of the meditation, because I couldn't get into it, I thought, they're all lunatics. (laughs) I did. I thought, they're all lunatics, and I don't think I belong here. So when you do a meditation, they go around each person and they ask how they felt or did anything happen. Some of them, you know, were a bit way out, and I thought, you know, I don't think it's for me, this. And then she said, Barbara said to me, she was sat next to me, How did you go on? So I said, well, I found it very hard to concentrate and just relax down. She said, oh, don't worry, it takes a long time. So I thought, oh, well, after we had a drink, we did another meditation. But this time, I was out of my body. Right. And I was walking in the clouds. And I just just come, I thought, no wonder they do this. (laughs) No wonder... Well, there's something in this, you know, thinking that everybody did this then. So as we come back and I ping back into my body, because that's what it feels like, it feels like an elastic band pinging back into my body. Barbara said, how did you go on, Barbara? So I told her and she went, I don't believe that. She said, years I've wanted that and you've just come and it's happened. So I thought, oh, well, I'm going to try this at home, you know, which I did. Right. But it was as though my whole mind opened up. It was like I knew what I was doing here. It was, I know what the soul is about. I know the relationship between the spirit and myself, which answered a lot of questions from my childhood. Mm-hmm. and what had happened. And so many things was happening to me because I was in and out of my body all the time. So so once you'd had that experience of meditation, did you understand more about the gift that you have? I don't know about the gift. I just understood that how things go together and were so much more than what we think we are. And we're we're certainly not alone here. Mm -hmm. And how important really it is to know that. And at that time, obviously, I was married and and everything. 
And my husband could not understand all these things. And I understand that, mm. that he did not understand because I, was, I would say, I'd go to bed at night time and I was out of my body. And this sounds absolutely ridiculous, but <laughs> saving souls in the spirit realm, the ones that have passed very quickly over, and maybe up being tested in the spirit. Or I was looking as well, I could go into into the seas. Mm. I don't know what that means. No, it's like going to the oceans because it's a spirit body that's going and not this physical body. So was the door open to that side of your life after you'd done this meditation? Yes. Was it almost like a part of your brain suddenly yes. started to work because of that meditation? I was fully opened. Right. So it's almost like until that point throughout your childhood, the door was very slightly ajar. Yes, and I then, would say that very much so, yes. As soon as you did the meditation, the door opened fully and you, the breadth of your experiences suddenly widened really quite dramatically. Yes, it did. Let, let's go back a little bit then into your childhood, to your adolescence. So before the door opened, the experiences that you had with spirit, how often did they occur? I don't really know. It'd be like you'd felt, feel somebody around you. Or I know when my granddad died, which was my husband's granddad, you know when you meet somebody mm-hmm. that you instantly drawn to as yeah. though you've known them before yes well that was like his granddad he was like a gentle giant he was lovely and when he passed he used to come and talk to me and and was he aware of of your gift when he was alive no no and it just say go down and see Nana, she's not very well. Well, it got that much that I was taking down something to eat and everything else because I knew it would be right, it mm. was so clear, mm. you know. And um, and I'd always want... I think when somebody passes away, I, I think you want to know that they're all right. Yes. And that was like with his granddad. And I kept thinking, oh, come back and tell me, granddad, that you're all right. And I didn't hear anything until one day when I was sat down, you know, after you've had another baby, you're so tired, aren't you? (laughs) Uh, And I sat down. He'd just come. Out the blue? Yeah. And he said, take my hand. And he he says, come on, I'll take you up to where I am. And he was taking me up into the spirit realm. And I was thinking, oh, uh, I wonder if I'm going to get back, you know. But what I can tell you is there was a place that was so full of love. And I realised that the colours that are in the spirit realm are within us. And every colour has a sound that resonates with us. And then he said, come on, I'll take you further. Well, I got a bit panicky at that because I thought, oh, what if I've got a baby at home, you know. And as soon as you think that, you come back. Right. You know, that's your the safeguard. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I had that. Then I was working as well at an elderly people's home. 
Well, you have loads of experiences there because you sat with people when they're passing. Mm. Um, you know, and people may think, oh, it's very sad. It was one of my happiest times working ever. Why is that? Because I love the elderly, for mm -hmm. a start. And they have such a good sense of humour. <laughs> and they have stories to tell, you know. And it's like when you're there and somebody's going to pass, it's a privilege to be with somebody when they pass. And when they were going to pass, and there was a lady there, and we all say we see somebody before we pass. Well, I didn't have sight then. So... So what did you have at that point? Just feelings or...? Yes. Yeah. There was all the feelings that I had and senses. Okay. And this lady said, you stood on me husband, Barbara. And I'd say, oh, sorry, and I'd move. And she said, you still stood on him. And do you know, it's a joy really to work with them, you know. And then I had another lady who I was very close to there. And her daughter used to come and visit her every day. She'd had a stroke, this lady. But while I was at home and I was just dozing, I saw that this lady had had a fall right. and she passed away. Right. And I could tell you how I was going to be sat with her when she passed away. And I could hear all the rustle of the tree, the tree outside. And her daughter couldn't make it because she had flu. And I thought, hmm, that's a funny dream to have. But when I went into work the following day, this lady had had this fall. So it was a premonition I'd had. Right. And a week to the day of me having that premonition, she passed away exactly the way I'd seen it. And did you do anything with that premonition? Did you just keep that to yourself or...? No, I told people mm -hmm. about that, but it's not a lot of people, mm. <laughs> just the matron, uh, the deputy matron, because I used to say, that last corridor, it gives you creeps. You know, there was yeah. a corridor up there. And in my role, I had to just pull down the beds, you know, at night time, yeah. and get the dressing gowns and everything else out. And there was one part of this home, it's in, it, it's in Glossop, I think it's still in Glossop. The hairs on the back of your neck would stand. And I think, now, don't be a wimp. Go in there, go in them other two rooms and close the curtains and pull the beds down and get everything ready for them. So I go in the first one feeling really, really brave. <laughs> and I could feel these eyes on me, you know. And the room would be cold. And I'd do it. And I thought, I'm not going to run out of here. I'm not going to let them know that I'm frightened of them. <laughs> and who was it, Barbara? It, it was a, definitely a lady. And, um, and did you ever communicate with her? No. Because she didn't want it, to, or you didn't want to, or...? Well, I never thought about it, to be quite right, honest. Right, because at that point, you weren't I aware. wasn't there at uh, where I am now or after. And I think, I'm not doing that other room. There's no way I'm going down and doing that other room. So I'd come back and I'd try not to run. I'd try to, <laughs> you know, and all the time, it, the air's on my neck. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd think, oh, this is awful. 
so when I used to take them up to bed, they said, Barbara, you haven't pulled the bed down. And I said, oh, I must have had to rush down for something. Because <laughs> while they were there, I was all right. <laughs> so lots of things like that, you know. Uh, that we come across. So it's, it's a real journey in terms of this has been forever with you. Yeah. But it's that awakening has been increasing as you've progressed through your life. Yes. The door has got wider and wider and wider. Very candid question now. And I know you can't, I've kind of asked you this already. You know, did you ever worry that it was something else that, and again, I'm not wishing to be rude. Did you ever think, oh my gosh, I'm going mad? No, never. Because if I said to you I didn't feel as though I belonged in this world as I went through my 20s, but once I opened up, I know I, I knew I belonged here. And I had that, like, coming home feeling. Right. So, to me, I was happy to mm. be here. Mm -hmm. And I could appreciate everything that was around me and all the blessings I did have. And that came as a result of the meditation experience that you had? Yes, just that one meditation. Wow, that's quite remarkable. So you, as you've said already, you, you left school at 15. Yes. You worked in a mill as a weaver. I did. And then at the age of 23, you were married and you had your first child. Obviously, you'd grown up with a a father who had the same gift yeah. and it was a part of your childhood in that way. Was it accepted as part of your marriage that this was part of who you were? Well, I never said anything. You won't, right, okay. I didn't say anything at all. But the funniest thing was, he'd already seen his granddad. And I know one night I was still pregnant with Stephen and I heard the taps go on in the house, in the kitchen, and I thought, oh dear. And I had my legs up and I felt then this coldness around me. And I can remember saying, Grandad, if that's you, you're frightening me. Mm. And it went. And I looked at the clock and it was 10 to 11. And when my husband come in, I told him. And he said, do you know, I looked at me, watch at that, and I was thinking about Grandad. Wow. So even though it didn't maybe kind of understand me later on he had an awareness of spirit so when you had that awakening when you had your meditative experience did you did you tell him what had happened at that point no because I was trying to assess it myself right okay process that on the I inside I just said I think I may have said I've really enjoyed that yeah but within a very short space of time in some ways I was out of my depth because nobody could answer for me the questions that I needed answering. Mm -hmm. So what do you do in that kind of a situation? Oh, it's really hard. Because you have to believe what you know mm -hmm. and just look through books. But books are wonderful things and they're wonderful tools. But they can only take you so far. It must have been incredibly lonely. It was, in some ways. And then books are always wrote by that person's perspective, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And so it was just finding out for myself. I had to do it on my own, really. Barbara, who I told you about, 
I used to tell her everything and she'd say, I don't know, Barbara. I'll go and ask somebody. <laughs> and this is how we got through, really. And who would she go and ask? Well, she would go and ask people that she knew who'd had experiences or was a medium or they was really into this, you know. But each individual's experiences, I found it unique mm-hmm. to themselves. And it's also about how they're how they are articulated because so much of this is about feelings and you talk about sight and you talk about being taken to places and experiencing things and seeing things. And actually, it's the description, the very personal description that you use of that, yeah. that trying to describe something that's otherworldly in words of our world must be very hard. I think I can only speak for myself and my experiences. Mm-hmm. I don't think most probably and are different for everybody. Mm-hmm. But it's how I came to the truth of who I am Mm -hmm. and how I belong in this world, I think. Okay. So you said at the age of 31 you were given an ultimatum. Well, yes, because my husband at that time didn't understand me. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you go to somebody and say, oh, you're doing this and this is happening, and he said... I don't understand it. If you keep going down this road, it's going to be the marriage. So, so by this point, you'd started to tell him more and more about what was happening yes. to you and the things that you were experiencing, and yeah. he was struggling with that. Yeah, because I suppose I was changing a bit as well, mm-hmm. because I realised that we need compassion. I was looking at everybody like that they were spiritual beings. Mm-hmm. And there shouldn't be any difference between anybody on the earth. And so I was learning an awful lot. It said to me, well, it's either the marriage or you stop it. And I have to tell you, it was 50-50. Because <laughs> I thought, well, I, I could do it on my own. I could bring up the boys on my own. I've got my mum and dad. I could do this because I didn't want to give it up. And then I thought, well, I can't take the two lads away from the dad. And he was a good dad. And a good husband, really. So... Did you actively have a choice in terms of the gift that you had? Could you just turn it off? Well, I didn't know. I didn't know, but I soon found out because... I did say to him, well, I'm going to carry on with my meditation and I'm going to carry on with my reading. So you you elected, sorry, just to clarify that, you elected that you would stay in the marriage and that you would quieten down this side of your life, for want of a better phrase. I think it came to the point when I said to him, I think I'll go to the spiritualist church. That's when it did it. Right. (laughs) As in, that's when it ended the marriage or...? (laughs) No, that's when he said... This enough is enough now. Right, okay. So you said you were going to go to the spiritualist <laughs> church, but and so and then you decide that actually you're going to stay in the marriage, so you never went to the spiritualist no. church. No, I didn't. So, 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 so how did it fare then when, when you'd made that decision and you said you found out whether or not you could switch it off? What happened? Well, I was about 31, coming up to maybe 32, and my dad wasn't very well. 
it was like you've gone from the heat to the cold and that it was a funny feeling because you cut off from things and then as my dad got poorly he had cancer your life takes over in a different way mm-hmm. I know my mum didn't want to tell him he had cancer and she wanted to bring him home from the hospital and so this is what she did and even though I may not have thought it was right that he shouldn't know um, it was my mum's choice mm-hmm. and so I prayed and I prayed that he would know and as he went into a semi-coma at home a beautiful thing happened really because a doctor came and he said he's just going to pass and I said to my mum well I'll stay with you tonight and at two o'clock in the morning I saw my dad in front of me as clear as day and I thought he's passed and my mum came in and she said he's wide awake she said and he wants some porridge and a drink of tea and he wants to see you as well now he didn't know I was there and uh, I went in and he said, well, Barb, he said, you've got your wish. He said, I've been up and I've had a loop where I'm going. He said, and it's beautiful, isn't it, Randolph? Now, Randolph was his elder brother and he was looking at him near the wardrobe. Well, I couldn't see him. He said, but they've let me come back till Tuesday. Now, Tuesday would have been the 36th wedding anniversary. And I said, all right. He said, you know what, Barb? He said, you don't even have to walk there. You can just glide over all the fields and the flowers are beautiful. He said, oh, it was lovely. And this was your physical father saying all this to you, not your father in spirit, your physical father saying all this. And so I can remember saying thank you so much for giving me that. And I was very, very happy with that. And was that almost like a confirmation that what you saw and experienced, that there was actually somebody else that... Yes, because I knew it was there. And it was just so lovely that he was able to experience it. And believe it or not, all his family, the family didn't know he was going to die. Mm -hmm. And all the family came over that weekend to see him. And he passed away on the Tuesday morning because he'd sent me to the florist to go and get a different coloured rose for my mum, for a name, because it was Jean. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't get these and he knew I wouldn't be able to get in February a different coloured rose. But when I got back, my mum said, he's just passed Barbara. So I went in to look at him and I said, right, Dad, get on your way and have a blooming good life. We'll be all right here. And did you see him again? I've seen him many times since. And it's always when I've got electric or water problems in the house. (laughs) Always, always. Was he a practical man? Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, when you see them, after and you say, oh, are you, Dad? It's nice to see you. You forget that he's come to tell you something, you know. And do you see him like you see me now? No, not as solid or anything, but you, you can see 
like the yeah. outline mm. and who he is and mm. you know because mm. he's always got a smile on his face and he speaks no no he doesn't speak do you know even though you're a medium mm. it's very rare you get to talk to your mum and dad right okay I don't know why that is I suppose you keep them do you understand keep them here because you'd want more conversations with them wouldn't yeah, you yeah of course you would of course you would but uh Yes, he passed away on the Tuesday when he said he was going to. So I knew he would be absolutely fine. And when he reappears with the water and electric problems, is he giving you advice about what to do or is it...? No, he just comes and I go, oh, are you, Dad? And then just get on my way and, and then I think something goes in the house and I think, oh, why didn't I think of it or, you know, something like that. I think to somebody on the outside thinking well, surely they sit and have a conversation, but it doesn't come into my head to do that. Mm. I just think, oh, they popped in. And how long do they pop in for? Is it seconds? Is it minutes? Yes, yeah, it can be seconds. That's all. Just oh. to, to see them, you know, and say, oh, and if it was Father's Day, I'd say, oh, happy Father's Day, and then, you know, do my own thing. Yeah. This is just, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's fascinating to hear you talk about it in such a candid way because for somebody like me, he doesn't have any kind of gift like you have to hear about the realities of coming to terms with it and also what it is and how it manifests itself in everyday life. So do you see every day now? No. If I wanted to, I could. Okay, but you choose not to. I choose not because you want a life here as well. Mm -hmm. And that's the way I've done it. When I work, I work. Right. Or if anybody asks me, I'll look. But otherwise, no, I don't. So you're experienced enough now to be able to control it, I suppose, is the phrase. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so, yes. Absolutely fascinating to hear. Your marriage did sadly come to an end when you were 42. Yes. A lot happened before that because when I was in my 30s and after my dad passed, my dad was my strength. Loved him to bits. And we'd just gone into a new house and I was taking three jobs on at once and I was tired and the loss of my dad and everything, I had what you would call a breakdown. Mm -hmm. And this is where I was looking at myself in the mirror and it wasn't me. I was walking before myself. I was having panic attacks. I couldn't see any purpose in things. And again, my dad came to my rescue because I was sat in the front of the mirror one day and he said, you've forgotten. He said, there's nothing outside yourself to make you happy. Go back within, meditate, go back within. And it was at that point that I felt so bad. I thought they're going to put me in a mental institution and why can't anybody see what I'm going through? That was the thing, I couldn't understand that. But I'd lost a light. And was that because of the decision that you'd made earlier about your marriage, about...? It could have been, yes, it could have been. As I look back on time, 
Would I have made the same decision? I'm not too sure. But it's a decision I made and I would stick to it and mm. I would never end a marriage. Mm. But after that, I think I went to see the doctor and we had a brilliant doctor. And she was on that day and I just burst out crying. And I said, I don't know what's wrong with me. And she said, I know exactly what's wrong with you, Barbara. I've just come through it myself. And I looked at her and I said, really? She said, honestly. She said, I want you to, I can give you some tablets and they will make you feel better. But I prefer you not to take them. She said, I want you to go up to the library and get some books. Um, and she told me which ones to get. So, and that was a big thing for me to just go up and do that at that moment in time. And I went and got these books and I started reading this book and I had every symptom in this book. I could not believe it. And what were the books about, Barbara? Self-help with your nerves, depression, right. Right. you know. Mental health books. Yes. Yeah. And I, all I thought was, well, I've got all these. And she didn't say it was going to be easy in this book. But if she's done it and I follow her guide, then I'm going to find a way out. And the first thing to do is tell people. So I told my husband and my friend Val, who first took me to the meditation. What, you, you, that you were poor, like? Yeah. Yeah. And that this is the way I was. So my friend used to come up every day on the bus and take me out walking. Well, anybody who knows that's had this feeling like this and feeling so low, you don't have any energy mm. and you don't want to do anything. But she got me out, hail, rain or snow, she got me out <laughs> of the mills in Glossop. And my husband were brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. And he said, well, you're going out and you're going out with your friends. And I said, no, I don't want to go. He said, well, you are going. And you only have to pick up the phone and tell me and I will come and collect you. But he said, you're going to go and you're going to start your spiritual whatever you want to do. And I thought that was what a gift. And, and had you separated by this point? No, no. No, I was 42 when um, we separated. So in the latter part of your marriage, he did actually accept that it, he you did. needed that part of your life? Yes. And I thought, well, I'll take it slow. <laughs> uh, but after I, it took me 12 months to come through this. Mm. But one day I got up and I looked out and I thought, I'm back. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say it carried on being wonderful because you have your down times then and you're up and you learn how to deal with them. And I started a new job and, and I thought, I've got to give something back now. So I started um, a counselling course and worked for Age Concern with bereavement counselling. And then I started my spiritual journey again. And was it at that point when you felt better as a as a, an individual, that you started your yes. meditation and... Yeah. So you, so you didn't actually use your spirituality to, to get you out of your depression. You, you, it was you and conventional techniques, yes. if you like, that you used to, to make yourself well again. Yeah, because I was in a dark place. I couldn't see any light. I was like going round in a wheel on a wheel and I couldn't get up. I couldn't break the cycle. So when you got better and you, you started your spiritual journey again, mm. that 
Go on, tell us about that. That was wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Because I used to go to the, you know, the body, mind and spirit fairs. Right. And listen to different speakers. I used to go on retreats, Mm -hmm. which I loved and met some wonderful people. And it was Barbara and Ron who was doing the retreats, some of the retreats at that time. You know, the lady I told you when I first, with a meditation. And so it was like being plugged back in. Right. I was nowhere near plugged in as I was at 28 to 30. But if I said to you, I was understanding more and I was gaining the experience, Mm -hmm. whereas I didn't understand before, I had all these experiences Mm -hmm. that I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. It's almost like your maturity in yourself enabled an understanding, a deeper understanding, but the muscle hadn't been used for so long. That's right. It needed to be exercised. Yeah, that's it. And it's, so I started back onto my meditation. Now past five every morning, I used to get up and meditate and had some wonderful experiences through that. But I also found it kept me balanced. Mm-hmm. And a better understanding of the world and every and everybody in it, I mm-hmm. think. I didn't know really what direction I wanted to go in. I just was absorbing everything. And you've since gone on to you're now a Reiki healer, a Reiki master, you, you qualify the different massages, you do is that bark flower? Black flower remedies. Black yeah. flower remedy. Tell us a little bit more about that. Was that all part of the journey as well? It was, because we went to different groups or there'd be days where you'd go and learn something else. The shamanic healing, the drumming, oh, all sorts of things, numerology. I'd try anything, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't, I don't think, until the healing came in. And I only did the first degree Reiki, so I'd be better at meditation. Right. I thought I'd... I didn't think anything about it at all. One night, I'd done that about two years before, and I hadn't really used it. I'd used it a bit. I was sat up in bed reading one night when this surround sound came in. I don't know who he was, but he he had that commanding voice that would say, jump from this high tower and you'll be all right. You would do because you believe him. And um, he said, we want you to take your second degree Reiki. And I went, well, I'm not taking it. They said, but we want you to take it. And I said, well, I'm not doing it. I'm not paying £300 to take it. They said, but you need it. And we want you to take it. So I said, well, I'll tell you what. (laughs) And I'd had an accident, a a car accident. And they'd offered me something like £1,500. And it was nothing because I still had the whiplash, well over 12 months later. So I said, well, give me a penny over £3,000 and I'll go and do it. And then they just went and I thought, right. Anyway, a few months later, the cheque arrived and it was £3,000. And it was either a couple of pounds and a penny, but it was either £3,000 and a penny. (laughs) And it was a penny and I thought, where have they got the penny from? 
not thinking I'd had this conversation a few months beforehand. And so, like everything, you're spending the money and I was sat on me settee one day and this voice come back and it said, well, you got your money. Well, I can honestly say I nearly fell off the settee. And I thought, well, I did say I'd do this, so I have to do it. Because if I make a promise, I, I do like to keep it. You're a woman of your word. And so I went to do my Reiki too. And I can honestly say I was sat there thinking, I don't really want to be here. I'm going to do nothing with it. When the voice says, shh, we want you to be here. And after I'd fin completed that, she was a lady called Carlin Clay and she was from America and I wouldn't have taken it with anybody else. And um, she said, and how did you find it, Barbara? So I said, well, I'll be quite honest. I haven't done anything with the first degree and the second degree I wasn't going to take, but spirit has asked me to come. And she said, is it you that I have come all the way over from America for? because I wasn't going to come over again. So I said, I thought, it can't be me. It just can't be, because I'm not going to do anything with it. But this was the year that, the year before my marriage broke up. Mm -hmm. And Chris, he said, I'll buy you the bed and everything that you need. So I thought, well, that's going to cost a lot of money. So I said, well, thank you very much. So it got me the bed and everything, so I could start. But I had no room where I was, you know, to do anything with, because we was at that moment in time, uh, we'd sold our house. Now, how things happen, because I'd gone to bed on three consecutive nights and had a dream, the same dream. My husband was there, and the two children, and my husband said, right, you've got to choose between me or the boys. And I thought, I said, don't be silly. I can, how can I choose when I love you all? He said, but I need you to choose. Well, I come back and I, and I woke up and I thought, that was a weird dream. So the following night, exactly the same. And then on the third night... My husband said, you've got to choose. You have to make a choice. And I said, I can't choose. He said, well, I'll have to walk away. And I saw him walking away. And I thought, that's really strange. And he was 43. And I knew he was 43. And I thought, is something going to happen when he's 43 or something? I don't know. So... Like I say, we'd sold the house and on Boxing Day, we was looking, going looking at houses. And on New Year's Day, he told me, so out of the blue. Mm. Uh, and you knew that was going to happen? I didn't know it was going to happen. I certainly didn't know that my husband was going to find somebody else. No, I didn't. You know, and people will say, well, you can see things, but you never see them for yourself. But what was the dream then, where he was saying he was going to walk, away? walk away? I just thought... But, I, but was that a symbol? Was that an I think it was a, a premonition again? It could have been. Yeah, it could have been. It may have said to me, you know, another choice. But I know if there had been another choice about my spiritual path 
and him, I would have taken the spiritual path. Mm. But um, it came to an end on New Year's Day, 1996. And I couldn't believe it at first. And maybe I don't act like most people. But I always think, well, if somebody doesn't want to be with you, you're better walking away. Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, what do you want to do about it? I mean, a lot of my friends laughed because, first of all, I don't say anything to anybody until I know in my own mind what's going to happen. So I didn't tell my mum, I didn't tell anybody. And, you know, it's funny, isn't it? I was a manager at this time, and on New Year's, this was New Year's Day, the day after, I've got staff, and one of my staff said, Barbara, my husband's just gone off with another woman, and I'm counselling her. <laughs> as, <coughs> and this is it's normally what happens, isn't it? So um, I just carried on working, and... I said, I think you need to really think about it because you're giving up an awful lot. So I think you're going through something like <laughs> the male menopause or something. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I find you, find you a rented property when we come out of this house. Stay in it for six weeks. Think about it. I'll go to my mum's and the boys can go to my brother's. Because we had to be out of the house in beginning of February. So this is what happened. And I could hear spirit saying to me, this has to happen, Barbara, we need you now. And I was thinking, never mind about that, I'm fighting here in some ways for a marriage. But I went after six weeks and he said, no, this is what I want. So I said, well, that's fine then. I said, um, I'll have to have a look for something else for me and the lads. Well, within six weeks, I'd found my house and moved in. I'd do things very fast. What would you say, Barbara, to someone who just doesn't believe any of this? I never put what I, my faith is or what I believe to anybody else. Mm -hmm. If anybody wishes to be open-minded and believe, then that's fine. It's where they are now. Every religion we've got in this world is right. And we all have to find our own way and our own belief, our own truth of who we are. And this is mine. And it doesn't matter to me if somebody doesn't believe. I don't know whether I would have believed in maybe a different lifetime or whether I would believe what I believe in now when I was in my teens, you know? Mm. My journey is mine and I'm very happy on my journey. And I think if you can feel happy in yourself and you're doing nobody any harm and you're only helping people, that has to count for something. What would you say to someone who was struggling on their journey? To someone who is really struggling to open their mind to the possibilities that their life could contain? 
All I'll say is everything that you need to know about yourself is within yourself. Don't listen to anybody else. Sit quietly, go within. And you may be very, very surprised about what you come up with. And then go with that. Go with your intuition. Mm. So even for people that are struggling, it's that time. It's quite an important time on our earth at the moment. There's a lot of energies around. And if you feel inclined to learn more, there's only you that's stopping yourself doing that. And if it's going to make you happy to do it, isn't that what this world is about, to be happy? Mm -hmm. To share with one another and to be happy, I think. Mm. You, you talk about the way the world is at the moment. You know, I think there's definitely a greater acceptance now amongst the general population that it's okay to explore things that sit beyond our realm of normal consciousness or acceptance, whatever it may be. And I think that we see a greater meeting of Eastern and Western philosophy. I think that more people are more aware of their mental health. I mean, we've, we've spoken about mindfulness and meditation. And I think a lot of people are far more conscious about finding purpose. You know, I've been reading a bit recently about epigenetics and, you know, the link between science and spirituality. Why, why do you think that's the case, that we're seeing this shift I think a lot more young ones, you know, if I go to the churches and I'm doing a service, a lot more young ones are coming. Mm -hmm. So the young ones are becoming much more aware. A lot of them have not been to the churches, so they haven't got anything that's holding them back in a way. So they're listening to other people. And if you look at the people like Shirley MacLaine and, and all these other people in the spotlight believing about whether it's about UFOs, whether it's about spirit, whether it's about experiences they've had. I think it's more open, you know, without people feeling silly. I know for me, you could have worked with me for 15 years and you would never know what I've been doing mm -hmm. because that's the way I am. But people are much more readily able to talk about things. And there's a lot more books out and a lot more films out as well about spiritual spirituality, I suppose. What about people, though, that aren't religious? You, you say you talk about going to church and stuff, but what about people that don't have a religion but see or have a sense of an awakening, maybe? Well, I don't look at spirituality as being religious. OK. Sits so outside of that. It does. And it goes through everything because it's who we are. We are all spiritual beings, unique. Every single one of us is unique. How awful would it be if we were all the same mm -hmm. and we were put into boxes? I agree. So I think it's about exploring who, what your truth is. It doesn't have to be anything to do with religion, but where you feel you fit in this world. You know, and I think when you find that, you find your happiness. Do you ever have doubts? No. Not now, no. Because my life is spirit. With my guides and, and angels and people around me. And 
I have friends that's not even into this, that I've had for 30 odd years and brilliant. And I have another set that's really into this and others besides. And that's a nice balance, mm. you know. And no, I don't have doubts. What three pieces of advice would you give to people, to, to, to the listeners today? And I'd, I'd, I'd really like you to think about people who are going through tough times, who are really questioning themselves and their kind of life purpose. What advice would you give to them? The main thing, we all want to be happy. And it doesn't cost money or anything else to be happy. Mm. If you're not happy, find out why you're not happy and talk, talk to people, talk to your friends, talk to your partner, because through talking, you'll find out what is the most important to you. Mm -hmm. And if you need help, go and get it. There's many people out there that's willing to give help. And maybe the first time you go, it may be not what you think, then go and find somebody else to talk to. Feel comfortable with somebody. But if you want something in this world, don't let it go. Go for your dreams. And that's what will make you happy. If you are in a place at the moment where you are happy, then that's a place you should be. We all go through bad times. The way I deal with bad times is... I send out love and sending out love and good wishes, even though somebody, somebody has done something that's not very nice, helps you to heal. It, I know it helps me to heal. That's the only way I can deal with things. And I've always helped other people. In helping other people, you help yourself. And that's as well what makes me happy. Very, very wise words. I just want to say thank you so much for being one of my guests on my podcast and for being so candid and open and honest and answering my questions and <laughs> clarifications, <laughs> trying to understand all of this. It has been an absolute pleasure and a privilege to, to have spent this time with you this morning. And I just thank you for welcoming me into your home and for being so honest and open. And I know that everybody listening to this podcast will take a tremendous amount away from you hearing your life story so thank you very very much You're welcome i know we've agreed that if anybody wanted to get in touch with you that they could do via my website via yes. my email which is contact at rediscoveryofme.com and if anybody would like to make contact with you that that they can do that and i will pass their message on to you that is fine thank you Laurie. thank you barbara Barbara's story is remarkable and fascinating on so many levels. We can all learn a great deal from her honesty, whether you choose to believe or not. She has travelled a tremendous journey and has found her own truth for who she is. I wonder, how many people really manage this in their lifetime? Whether you're deeply spiritual or not, I'm sure that we're all united in our desire to secure lasting happiness. Finding your own way takes bravery and courage. As Barbara says... Everything that you need to know about yourself is within yourself. Don't listen to anyone else. Sit quietly and go within. To use her words, if you truly want something in this world, don't let it go. 
I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Rediscovery of Me Life Stories podcast and that in some way it's added value to your life. Thank you for joining me. I've been your host, Holly Hartley. Please make sure that you tell everyone you know who might benefit from listening all about the show. It's free to listen to, of course, in any app that supports podcasts. Make sure that you click like and leave a review. I'll see you, you incredible person, on the next edition of the podcast where we'll be exploring burnout. Remember, one person's story can be someone else's survival guide. You are enough.